Hey guys, I hope you're loving the Making Bank episodes. Please make sure you guys like and share these episodes as well as comment below for the guests. They love to come back and interact with you. And I really appreciate you watching and listening to Making Bank. So thank you. You are are listening to Making Bank, where we uncover the mindset and success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business. Welcome to Making Bank. I am Josh Felber, where we uncover the mindset and the success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business today. Excited for today's guest, Mike McDermott, Jack Lee Matthews, Ethan Mollick, Jerry Feta, Josh Elledge, David Nagel, Kevin Harrington, and Mark Tim. Obviously, with 400 employees um, or uh, part of your team and everything, did you guys focus on kind of culture from day one? Was that something later down the road once you kind of brought on your executive team? Yeah. Culture for me, yeah, was very much a day one thing, okay. very much in the basement. And and I, I decided pretty early on that it was like as important as like anything else, as important as like marketing or software development or anything. Culture was culture was a big deal for me. And it was I, I remember listening to some if people are looking for some inspiration. I, I really found the Stanford Entrepreneurial Thought Leader podcast series to be really good. And I do some of the early ones, like, you know, they've run into the hundreds now and maybe less so now, but some of the early ones were really, really formative just in terms of what it is to be an entrepreneur and how to, you know, create things for others. And, and, um, you know, anyways, one of them, I, I remember listening to it and, and they, just, this guy, and he ran a bank of all things. In fact, it was Silicon Valley bank, but he basically just made the sense. The only thing that's different about us and every other bank is our culture. And like, here are the returns we've had and the results. And, and like I, the last person I expected to like make the case for culture for me was a guy running a bank <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, and, you know, so, and it, it just really took hold. And then, so we took a lot of steps to make sure, you know, we do a lot of things like everyone still spends their first month in customer service when they join the company, mm. um, which is, which is a way to keep people close to the customer and the sure. problems with the customer. And, and it becomes very non-academic. Like I couldn't imagine like joining a company. Here's a PowerPoint deck about our customer. Right. <laughs> How do you make money from them? Right. It's like, what? Like that's that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I haven't worked anywhere else, so I don't know. But I, I imagine that's what it's like in some places, right? Uh, if you even get the PowerPoint deck, it's just like right. go figure out. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> so you know, I'm very uh, much a believer, and you spend time with customers. They kind of evidence to you what the problems are. You go and solve them, and they reward you by you know sort of sharing their their uh, their hard earned uh, you know sort of um, you know money with you and that's that's the uh that's the sign that you're you know you're doing the right thing is hey you're so valuable i want to pay you like that's that to me is how it should work for you guys what have been some of your kind of those sticky points um being able to keep great employees you know with with you guys well i i mean culture helps a lot you know a lot of the reason we attract people and we retain people is culture they want to work in an environment where you know, employees matter, which is not the case everywhere. So I have the belief you take care of the team, the team takes care of the customers and, you know, the customers take care of the, um, like the business. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I think it does start with the team. Other places have different philosophies, but, um, you know, so, so as we've gone along the way, like I, we haven't really had sticking points for retaining people or, or attracting them. I, I mean, I think it's more, you know, you do need different people at different phases of growing out a company. And I think that's been 
that's been an interesting thing to observe. And, you know, you can see some people like, man, I love that guy and I would never hire him again. And, you know, <laughs> other people who, you know, come along and they're like, oh, I loved it for a while, but now it's not what it was. And so, you know, it's, it's all, it's all kind of balanced like that. And it's a healthy part of growing up. It's, it's also one of the hardest ones for yeah. those of us in there the whole time. Cause I, I you know, you, you, you have so much trust in like history under the, you know, like water under the bridge or whatever it is with, with people. And, you know, but it's the right thing for them to go sometimes. And then there's been other people who still had more ability to give and they just needed to go for themselves. They needed a reset. They've been killing themselves for years with us. And it's like, hey, like you got to go. So, um, you know, anyways, there's all I mean, it's, you know, a lot of people files. We, we can go there long, long, uh, never ending uh, stream of things. But it's been those are, those are some of the things we've seen along the way. Definitely. Yeah, no, I think that is true. Just the whole fact that, I mean, as you're growing you kind of outgrow, you know, where the people are with you. So, you know, some people, like you said, don't want to come on and continue down that journey. And that fit doesn't happen anymore based on changes in the company as it's growing to serve more people and to help more people and everything. And I know we've seen that over the years and everything as well as we've kind of hit different thresholds of growth and everything. Yeah, no, it's, 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 uh, you know, sort of as, somebody our first like software development manager is with us still like i don't know 100 people or something like that but she said this uh you know success is the second worst thing that can happen to a company right? <laughs> yep like, yeah you know, it's, it's hard right it's really hard and and you know as somebody who's kind of been here along the way and you know kind of had probably like i haven't really counted before but probably three or four versions of our executive team in terms of what we needed to do to grow and get the right people in place like you know outgrowing people is you know or having them not keep up in one way or another is one of the it is it's just not fun yeah and so we've always tried to be you know good with folks along the way when that that comes about and but uh you know it is just what happens and you know as they say that the only role that you know is you know might not be run by a professional at scale uh, is CEO. And so <laughs> you get this kind of, uh, you know, sort of, you know, they, they can all do their jobs better than I can, which is great. I just happen to have a whole bunch of other knowledge uh, that, uh, you know, contributes. And anyways, it, it's just hard to go through those things and see people, uh, you know, through their period and then they go off. And what is also gets fun is we have all kinds of people who've been on our team and, and like who now go run big parts of other people's companies. Right. So that's been a big that's that's been really fun. We're like a talent hub. Like come here for a few years. We'll get you on to your next thing. It's a good calling card. What did you learn kind of through that car sales process? Obviously, you were a top salesperson there. You were doing great generating the company millions, you know, but what was kind of some of those things that you've pulled away from that? You're like, man, you know, I'm glad that I went through this because this has now helped me here. Great question. Well, it definitely helped me uh, understand my value. Right. Help me understand other people's value as well. See, mm-hmm. that's the thing is, is a lot of people that I deal with, Josh, um, they, they just don't know that they're superstars. Like actually everybody's a superstar. Everybody has a message. Everybody yeah. has something that they've been through that they can share with everybody and everybody can get value from that experience. And I want to inspire people because that's the whole thing is like when I was a car salesman, you know, working hard all the time, I just didn't believe them. Like, even though I was, I had great success. Right. I didn't believe in myself because again, I was being told when to show up, when to go home, like all of those things. Like for me, for me, I think the biggest thing that I would encourage anybody out there to do is to really like, you only have one life in this life and there's going to be two dates, the day you're born and the day you die. And in between that, there's a dash. And then that dash is everything that you're going to accomplish in that dash. And I think that's what, for me, 
that I've learned in my life is what really matters is the story that I tell myself about who I truly am. Sure. And I think so many people, Josh, they tell themselves, you know, what their what their somebody else has passed on to them. And you got to start to say, you know what, know what, actually, I can live my dreams. You know, no matter who tells me what, you know, you failed 50 other times before this, right? No matter what, you've just got to know, you know what, I can laser focus in and I can go because I believe in myself. Yeah, no, I think that's super key is, you know, I mean, is having that belief and that confidence in, you know, who you are. And I know you mentioned, you know, having the goals and, you know, the penthouses and the monetary and things like that. But like, kind of like out of that then, what was really that why that was driving you for that? Mm. My why has always been my family. Again, okay. I, I come from a very, you know, small town. Nobody makes it out of my small town. One other person mm. made it out of my small town. He went to the NFL and uh, and ended up back in my hometown in, in five years. Oh, wow. You know? And and I mean and I, and again he's doing great work in the community. Sure. Shout out to him, Josh Bush. He's doing great things with his foundation. Um, but the thing that I saw was I saw that a lot of people, especially in my family, they just weren't like reaching for much. Like they were just like comfortable playing it safe. And like for me, again, like I'm talking about, like we only have this one life. Right. And I've always known, and it is, and I don't say this in a cocky way. I've, I've always known that I was different. I've always known that God will work through me if I allow him to work through me. And I think so many people sure. say, oh, God, I believe you. I trust you. But it's like, do your actions line up with that? Do you just step out on faith and say, you know what? I don't see the whole staircase, but I'm just going to take the I'm going to take the trip. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, you know, a really great point. Um, you know, it's you got to be congruent, um, your beliefs and your message and then what you're doing, you know, along the journey for sure. It definitely matters. Like, I think that's the thing that I'm also realizing, you know, with everything going on in this year in 2020 is that everything matters. Yeah. You know, truly everything does matter. And I think the more sensitive, one of the things about me is that Josh, that I'm sensitive, right? So things affect me, right? And like, and I, and I feel it. And I think that's the thing is I would actually encourage a lot of people. I think so many people are, we've, we've, we've gotten into this, especially with social media, we've gotten into this day and age where everybody puts on a, fe- a front, you know? <laughs> And a mask. Yeah. And, and I think the thing is, is that like with me, I'm, I'm starting to see everything. And I think the more that you start to see and you see the people that need you, right? Because there's going to be days that I go, I get up and I'm not going to feel like checking in. But if I can think about the people that need me and, uh, and that will keep me on my, uh, keep me going and it'll keep you going. And I think that's the thing that, you know, I would encourage anybody is to just look at who needs you. You know, and and really focus on like that, because that is something that will motivate you like so much farther than what you can do by yourself. Because when you start to take your eyes off yourself and that's another thing for me that was really critical for my success is when I took my eyes off myself and I put it on other people, it was like instantly overnight success. And so I think that's another thing that a lot of people get lost in, especially today because of like social media. It's like we want the attention. Right. But I really do believe that the people that are going, especially in the next, I'm going to say two years specifically, in the next two years, as you know, we're going through this uncertain time, the people that are going to be making the moves are people that are sensitive. Hmm. Because those yeah. are going to be people that people want to draw to. People are going to be recognizing, wait a second, this person isn't a, a simple you know, son of a gun. Like This person actually cares. And I think that that's the thing that we've got to get to, especially in America. We've got to get to the fact of, 
um, that I care, that I genuinely care. Like, I don't understand your problems, and you probably will never understand mine, but I care. And I think that if we can do that, we can start to have the right conversations, and we can empower people. Because, again, that was another reason why we built Fans Plan, because – you know, there's a lot of people out here that identify a certain way, and then there's not a lot of people that identify like them. So because of that, people find it hard to be themselves. I saw that. Sure. I, and and that was something that I wanted to empower people on. With Fans Plan, our slogan is real people, real influence. Because we want people to be their authentic self. We want people to be their, their best form of their self, their best version of themselves. And I think that's the thing that can also help the world is that if we all be the best version of ourselves. You know, I had a mentor one of my very first mentors, he was 20 years old. He lived in North Carolina. He lived in the penthouse in Charlotte, about 45 minutes away <laughs> right. from me. He was 20 years old. He was making $50,000. And I said, I've seen this guy. And I said, if it's possible for him, it's possible for anybody. And I think that's the thing is when people can see us, know that your dreams are possible. Know that anything that you set your mind to is possible. Like, I think that's the thing is that we're living in this day and age where the environment is so negative, Right that you can, you can talk yourself out of your dreams. You can say, well, you know what, like, is there even going to be a future? Sure. And I think that you've got to just stay focused. Like the, the thing is that people need you. Like I said, people genuinely need to connect with you. People need to genuinely connect with your message and what you're trying to offer people. And I think that if you are sensitive to that and you really are like, I'm dealing with people, I'm bringing people on my podcast that these are people, these are great people. But these are people that I would have never even guessed would have been reaching out to me. And, and these, are, these are celebrities, you know, basketball players, football players, wrestlers, all kinds, all walk, MMA, all walks of life. But they're reaching out to me because they see that the day and age, number one, the day and age is changing. Right. They have fans. They have a fan base. They have people that do care about what they say. And now how do you – because I think that, again, we've got we, – again, we live in the best country in the world. And people take it for granted and we have to start speaking up and we have to start really saying like, Hey, this is what it is. And this is what it isn't. And, you know, kind of like your shirt says, like superhuman, like we've got to become a a new form of humans in this 21st century, like to really go to the next level. Because again, it is a very noisy world that we're living in, in a very negative environment. When you live in a negative environment, it's easy to make yourself negative. And again, that's why you got to be, mindful of what you're putting into your mind through what you're finding out then what are some of these common pitfalls that you guys are seeing that we can avoid <laughs> uh so there's so a lot of them are just kind of myths we have about who needs to be there to found a company right so whether that's the belief that you should that you younger people are better founders right turns out not to be true i, I don't know if you've shared on your show before but the the average age of a founder in the united states we now have a really good data by danny kim pierre Zule, a bunch of other people looked at all the census data for every startup average age for a founder is 42. wow average age for a founder who gets venture capital 42. <laughs> average age for a founder who starts a company that creates hyper growth that's at the 0.01 percent fastest growing companies in america 45 to 59. So there's a little bit of like this view that it's a young person who's doing this, not always true, right? Similarly, I've got research showing that solo founders often outperform teams. Um, We have a lot of research that looks at personality and entrepreneurship, and it finds out that there's no one type that's an entrepreneur type. So there's a lot of kind of interesting angles where I think we believe certain things that turn out not to actually match what the data says. 
No, that's interesting. And I'm glad I'm in that 45 to 49 group. <laughs> people, people are either happy about it, but at least if you're not happy, you can yeah. wait and you're, you're like, your greatest days are still ahead of you, right? So right. Like, groups are like, yeah. All right. We got a lot but, coming on there. Yeah, we still got time. Well, um, and that's one of the things, too, you mentioned, I think, was uh, everybody kind of thinks like, oh, this is your stereotypical entrepreneur um, personality or, you know, they're this type A and they have this drive and no sleep and 80 hours yeah. a week. I mean, what are you guys kind of uncovering in that? Because it's interesting. So, so just to dive into no sleep, turns out that is the worst idea. Okay. And it's actually there's been like five papers on why no sleep is terrible. Okay. So first of all, when founders don't sleep, a couple of weird things happen. First of all, they get worse ideas. They become less creative, mm. but they also become more impulsive. So they are, act on bad ideas more. So what ends up happening is if you're chronically sleep deprived, you're more likely to start a company, but it's more likely to be a bad company. <laughs> also, when, when founders don't sleep, they're in a bad mood. And that actually influences their entire company because it turns out emotions are contagious among founders. So if they come in cranky and tired, it makes everybody cranky. And then idea quality in the entire company plummets. So there, hmm. And then on top of that all, it's just stress and recovery. You right. need that moment. There are moments where you can't sleep as a founder. There's moments where it's all in. You know, We've all been there where you have to stay up all night, three nights in a row before the big product launch or your big pitch or whatever it is. And if you don't have the reserves for that, then those moments tend to break founders. Hmm. So making, making that the exception rather than the rule turns out to be a really good thing. Um, and similarly, we find that founders of families actually get buffered from some of the stress of founding. They have some other area in their life. So, you know, talking about having a strong life and a strong family life and balancing that with a strong entrepreneurship urge, really powerful. That's awesome. And that's, I mean, that's obviously, if you've been, if you're on my website, all that's kind of what we talked about is family and faith and entrepreneurship. And so kind of like, you know, it's that family piece that helps with, you know, give you kind of that whole I guess that makes you a better entrepreneur, yeah. you know, I could say. And that was interesting what you talked, though, about, um, you know, with sleep and, and kind of where that mindset is. Because obviously, as a founder and getting the sleep and recovering, as you mentioned as well, I think is huge. And I think that's been making a big shift over the last couple of years. You know, yeah, you're hustling, you're pushing hard and everything else. But you also got to get get your sleep or recover, I guess, kind of umbrella, you know, sleep recovery, um, and taking the time to manage your stress levels and, uh, and everything I think is significantly huge. And what was kind of interesting, you know, I was thinking about it when you were saying is, is you come up with bad ideas and then you, uh, and then it, uh, what was it? And then you execute on them or, uh, they get worse or something like yourself. I'm like, wait, you come with the bad idea and now you're executing on the bad idea. And then it's just, you know, it's a whole right. kind of process. Exactly. And then you get, and then you commit to those bad ideas and because you're not thinking straight, you double down and you can't make them <laughs> yeah. successful and it creates a spiral. So, I mean, one of the messages I've been giving to venture capitalists every time I talk to them is stop judging people based on the hours worked. Mm. That's a really bad technique um, because not all hours are equally productive and encourages people to burn out. And then also you model that for your employees, right? So then your employees are all burning out and right. you know, it's, you could do that for a little while, but you just can't keep it going forever. And so what are you guys, what have you found um, through the research and everything uh, and working with all the different startups from, you know, here's the different things that are really making companies successful. Obviously they don't all have to be the unicorns, but you know, what are these processes or what are these uh, different things that are really making companies successful or founders successful in the companies? So I don't know if you've typically talked about things like lean startups or other kinds of approaches like that. Sure. Um, so if, for those who haven't heard, and I'm not sure if everyone would have, if so I don't have to talk about it. But if you haven't, a lean startup is a method came out of Silicon Valley 
that you're basically going to experiment with customers and products as a founder, and, and you're not really going to start building anything until you find demand. Um, so what we've been finding is that, that the, there's some really good ideas in that, right? And the most important idea from that that seems to work is what I said, experimentation. So it turns out that founders who really sit down and figure out what do I not know about the world that I need to know, what has to be true about the universe, about the world for my businesses to succeed, and then how do I test those things out in a coherent way before I leap, do much better. Okay. Um, so that idea of experimentation, of testing, um, it doesn't mean you're not hustling. You're absolutely hustling. You're out there pushing, but you know why you're pushing, and you're not just doing anything random. You're deciding what do I need to know most and what kind of experiment can I design to figure out whether that is, you know, is going to happen or not. So that might be that I need to know more about, you know, like my customer's willingness to pay it turns out to be the really big deal. Mm. So what experiments can I design with customers or with, with interviews or with surveys to understand whether they're willing to pay? Because I need to knock down the biggest issue first before I move on to the next one. Sure. And a lot of founders are inclined to do, you know, to just sort of do everything at once. Another big thing, I told you that personality doesn't predict founder success. Right. It does predict the chance of entering entrepreneurship. You know what the biggest personality trait that predicts someone becoming an entrepreneur is? Overconfidence. Wow. So overconfidence, okay. which it makes sense, right? Yeah. If you don't think you can do it, you don't have to, like you're you're not gonna do it because the odds are against you. Right. right. So it's like it's like being in a rock band or deciding to be an actor. You need to think you're amazing. Some of you are amazing. All of you listening to this are amazing, <laughs> but not everybody is gonna make it, right? So overconfidence means that founders are often blind to negative things. They don't mm. change unless they have tests and experiments because they just view every obstacle as something they overcome. But sometimes an obstacle suggests that you should change direction. So right. some of the most powerful research that we have that's really clear is you need to be engaging in experiments. You need to know what you're testing about your business at all times. And you need to constantly be thinking about the tests that are actually giving the results and making sure that you're not being fooled. Um, by your overconfidence. I know one of the things too that I thought was kind of interesting when I was reading through was kind of your wealth habits. I guess if you want, maybe want to touch base on that and kind of go through those for everybody. Yeah. So, so these are, they're, they're very simple, right? And, and you know, this, a lot of this comes down to like behavior, right? At the end of the day, like money, I tell people money is addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. It's not <laughs> complex. We learned it in like seventh grade. Uh, probably even sooner than that for some of us. <laughs> yeah. And if they if they would have put dollar signs in front of all the numbers, Josh, I would have loved math a lot more. <laughs> I would have been like, all right, this is this is my game. But the money side is easy. It's the behavior. And, and so some of the wealth habits that that we see is the wealthy people, um, especially top one percenters, they're producers, right? And and what I mean by that is they they have businesses, they are great at sales, they're great at marketing, they're great at producing and creating income, right. and then doing smart things with that income after it's produced. And um, one of the things that we teach our clients and, and that I do personally is once a week sitting down for about 30 minutes and having a wealth meeting and looking at two things, really. The first one is, you know, my income. So if I've got if I've got a passive income goal, that means that below that I have an investment goal that's producing that. And below that investment goal, I've got a savings goal that I've got to be able to put into an investment. And below that savings goal, I've got an income goal. I've got to earn this to, to save that, to invest this, to have my passive income. Okay. So if I really bring it all down, I've got to earn this much money today and this week and this month in order to save this much and invest it. 
And so I look at that every week, every seven days I sit down and, and you can call it a pipeline if you want to, but I look at where's my income coming from. You know, if it's on the books, great. If it's not, who am I talking to? What opportunities are out there? What do I need to create if there aren't opportunities? And that's kind of the entrepreneurial side of it. And that happens first. The second thing I do is I look at my budget. Now, budgets exist. You can't budget your way to wealth. You can budget your way to homelessness. Um, but it also doesn't mean you don't have one. Fortune 500 companies, they all do have a budget and, and they know their numbers. It's just a basic responsibility that we have. If we spend something, know what it was and know how much it costed, right? Right. And so what I'll do is I'll look at my budget. And I just use mint.com. It's an app, right? I oh, can yeah. pull up yeah. my transactions. Um, I rate everything on a one to five scale, right? So um, ones are dumb expenses, right? And if it's a dumb expense, it's like I didn't need it. There's no justifiable <laughs> reason. It was just an overall terrible idea. Sure. Um, and if something is a one, if I'm playing this game, the one gets returned and I get the refund and that refund goes into my sacred account. Mm. And so it's kind of like a positive negative reinforcement thing where you know it's embarrassing to get the refund on on the the brand new rims that i just bought from my car that i didn't need at all and then you know the positive side is that money now will go towards building my wealth um so that's a one a two is something that's just bad timing okay right i didn't need it now it's different than a one right i want to i want to have a difference there in the behavior same thing though i'll refund it get the money put it in my sacred account um, threes are maybes I'm married. So that means that I thought it was a one. My wife thought it was a five. We split the difference on that and that's a three and it's kind of a safe zone that we'll come back and revisit. Um, fours are needed for survival and by survival, I mean like food, clothing, shelter, mm. transportation, um, you know, physical well-being, mental well-being. Um, cause it, it takes a lot to produce at the level we're talking about. And so I sure. shouldn't, I shouldn't do beans and rice. I need to make sure I'm taking care of my, myself and, you know, being in that position. So I never return a four. And then fives are either income producing or tax deductible. Oh, okay. And so I want lots of fives. And when I get good at this, like, you know, people do this for 12 weeks, I can play the game of taking a one, two, a three or a four and turning it into a five. Mm. And that's, that's what wealthy people do. That's the top 1% is if you, if you robbed them blind and dropped them in, in the middle of nowhere, that behavior, that creative mindset is what would get them back to the position they're in now. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I mean, it's broken down super simple, you know, with, with, like you said, the one, two, three, four, five. And obviously if somebody can look at it and then make that determination. So like which ones then are getting tagged as five as an example? So five is going to be anything that naturally produces income. Um, okay. You know, a, a mortgage payment on a rental property, a vehicle. If I'm driving Uber and I use that car for Uber. Um, gotcha. With taxes, it's anything I involve with my business. If I want something to be a five, it you know, it's, you know, facts and circumstances. That's all I need to back it up with, and I can turn it into a tax deductible event. So. That can be, you know, that can be meals, that can be trips, that can be whatever I would like it to be within the the legal remedies of the tax code. Got it. Okay, cool. And then I know we only got a few minutes left, but one thing I wanted to talk about, I think you talked somewhere, I remember seeing is like how not to pay taxes and get away with it since you just mentioned taxes. <laughs> right. So how do we do that? <laughs> so one of the, one of the big ones is, is, um, through being an entrepreneur. Right. When I was an employee, like, you know, first paycheck, I remember 18 years old, I was delivering pizza and I had, you know, a thousand dollar paycheck and I was looking forward to that thousand bucks and I find out it's only 800. Kind of like, 
one of those like wah, wah, yeah. wah <laughs> moments. And, uh, so um, ever since then, I've looked at how to not pay taxes. So as, as a self-employed person, having self-employed activity or as an entrepreneur, I have a lot more control to not pay taxes on stuff. So one of the things that I like to do, especially for self-employed people is, you know, if I have self-employed income, setting up an S corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, and okay. I don't want to get too into the weeds here, but that really helps me avoid self-employment tax. Um, right. From there, I take advantage of um, something called a self-directed pension trust. I can contribute money into that, invest it in real estate or whatever I would like to invest it in, in and deduct it off on my taxes. From there, I usually will take advantage of something called a Section 179, mm, um, yeah. which is for purchasing vehicles. I can use that to buy my next vehicle and write that off. And then any of my profits, I'm typically going to funnel that into my life insurance policy. That life insurance policy can never get taxed. So anything mm. that goes in there is net of taxes, but it's never going to be taxed again. Okay. And and that's kind of my sequence that I'll go through. And and once someone becomes accredited, a million dollar net worth or higher, we can do things like oil and gas deals where 100% of my investment is tax deductible. You know, 1031 hmm. exchanges, just things that, yeah. that most people aren't on top of. What are some of the things that you see, one, easy ways for people to build authority, and two, kind of what that process looks like? Right. So, you know, kind of a mishmash of the couple of things that we've talked about previously, just in terms of being able to uh, volunteer and okay. serve your way to the top. That's really yep. important. So, for example, let's say that you want to be a guest on a big podcast host's show. Well, guess what? So does everybody else. So how are you going to separate yourself from everybody else that's you know, hey, let me on your show. Let me on your show. Let me. So what you want to do is you serve your way in. You find a way to do something very, very nice for that person. If you have a podcast, you'd better at the very least be inviting them on your show first. And then um, your pitch to them would just be asking, what are you looking for? Right. You know, maybe I can intro somebody or I don't know if at some point it would be appropriate for me to be a guest, but I really want to know what you want, what you need. And I would be happy to, to help make that connection. Or maybe you have a specialty, something that you're really, really good at. Find a center of influence and offer to do something for them at no cost. And some people are freaking out because they have a scarcity mentality. Listen, (laughs) (laughs) one book I want you to read is The Go-Giver by Bob Berg, if you haven't read it already. And and, and more importantly than read it, I want you to test it. And I want you to test that principle. I could just tell you that that principle, I've kind of always lived it, like savings age old. That's all. We did over $6 million in revenue, and I spent about $0 in advertising. All I do is serve audiences. All I do without my influence is... I reach out to our dream ideal clients. I invite them to be a guest on our podcast. We promote them. We do lots of nice stuff for them. And then we'll explore the relationship. And if it if it seems like someone that would be a great person to work together or they see value in what I do or I see value in what they do, then we do work together. If there's not a fit, cool. I just, I still do nice stuff for them anyway. And by the way, if you want to see a video where I break down exactly like how our system works, it's, you go to up my influence and you'll find it's like business services or something like that. Okay. B2B, B2B system. Watch our video. I, I share, I, I I'm very transparent. I, I explain everything that we do, but you watch that video and you can see exactly how we do what we do, but we 10 X our sales pipeline in five months from doing wow. that. And we were already doing pretty good beforehand. 
That's awesome. Yeah, we'll link to it here uh, in the notes down below. So we got a few minutes left. Uh, what's kind of like one thing you're like, all right, I hope Josh is going to ask me this, but then I haven't asked you that. What would that one thing you want to share with the audience? Yeah, I, well, I would say, you know, how, uh, Josh, do you grow business? How do you grow your audience today? How do you get more sales? Uh, I think that's like the number one question. I think if people, they might be a little shy to ask that question. I want to make more money. How do I get more sales? And I'm telling you, I, well, I already told you, uh, it's it's really, you can read uh, The Go-Giver Sells More by Bob Berg. Um, you can commit to just providing value, serve, give value, lead, you know, lead by giving value, uh, reach out to your dream ideal clients, do something, find out what it is that they want, do something nice for them and do it with no, absolutely no strings attached, no hooks, no gotchas, just give it away, right? And then see where the relationship goes. And by the way, if they don't return the favor, uh, quite frankly, I'd be surprised. Like when I reach out to media, for example, it's always all about them and how I serve their audience. Uh, and, and I don't sell, I don't have to sell. You have to trust that audiences are smart. If you think you're one funnel away from riches because you're gonna trick people with tripwires and these amazing autoresponder campaigns, guess what? Consumers have kind of moved on beyond that. In my opinion, sales, you know, tricky sales funnels are today's MLMs. And that's not to disparage MLMs or, or people who do tricky sales funnels. They can work. It's just a lot harder than being a generous soul. Also, final thought on this. When you wake up in the morning and the first thought in your mind is, who can I sell to today? Man, that is a tough way to, to run a business, to grow a business, that desperation mentality, it sucks. I've dealt with not having the money, but you gotta relax. You gotta say, who can I serve today? What value can I bring? And you will get it. At some point, intellectually, you're going to agree with me. And for some of you, you're gonna understand emotionally and spiritually what I'm talking about, or you'll test the process. You say, holy crap, the guy was actually right. This really does work. I know in your book, uh, The Millions Within, you got you focus on you know, uh, creating awareness and intention and you know just really focusing on uh, what you're doing. I guess maybe kind of give us some highlights of that because I know we got a little bit of time left and then and how people can uh, utilize that today. Well, I think the idea first off is you have to be clear on what you want. You know, if you're if you're confused, if you're uncertain, if you're not sure, you really need to go back and, and have a conversation with yourself about who you are as a person and, and what kind of life do you really want to have. I think one of the things that we're missing with children is allowing them to step into their authenticity and find out who they are and give them the permission and the space to do that and the encouragement to do that. Right. Which also requires letting them make their own mistakes. Right. And I think when a person does that, something remarkable happens. The more I get to know myself, the more I uncover what my purpose in life is, because I think our, I think, first of all, I believe all life has a purpose and human, all human beings have a purpose, but the purpose is attached to your higher self. If you're going to walk around and be a product of what other people created ideologically in life, then you're forced to do whatever that, that idea is. Like that's how people become employees doing things that they don't like to do for their whole life. You know, yeah. um, many times with people that they don't even like. 
because they don't know who they really are and they can't stand in their yes and they can't stand in their no. They're making decisions based on what other people think. So really finding out who you are first and then, and then being honest about what you like and what you don't like. And if you haven't found it yet, keep looking. Keep trying different things until you find it. When you find the thing that you're willing to trade your life for, like going, yes, you know, this, I love this. I am excited to get out of bed every day and do this. Then that is the thing to, to put all of your creative energy uh, and your dedication into. That's excellent. What would you say or what would you want me to ask you that I haven't asked? You're like, okay, I hope Josh asked me this to let our audience know, um, whether it's during the time right now or just in general, um, just to help them be a better them or a better person or Im improve their business overall. So here's, here's what I would ask somebody. How does a person change their mind? How do they does a person make that shift in their mind where they get out of the problem and into the solution? And the answer that I have for it is that they practice gratitude for where they are. We have to understand we have a very reactive mind. And, and whatever is surrounding us is what the mind is going to react to. So it's like we're getting commands from the media, right, constantly. It's all doom and gloom. We get those commands to our mind. The mind automatically reacts to it. We don't feel well. We're confused. We don't know how to make decisions. Life begins to kind of infarcate on us, and we have a very small reality that, that doesn't pan out well. We can change it by first starting with our own personal life and asking ourselves, what can I be grateful for right now? Honestly, not making it up, not faking it or forcing it, but what can I really be grateful for? Because that's a command to your mind to look for something good. And then right. begin to expand it out. Look at your whole life, your family, your business, your company, the world. Start looking for things that are good. And when you do that, you're then going to find opportunities to be of service. And all success is based on service. You have to give to receive. So, but I have to be something of quality to give. So I have to lift myself up first to do that and stand. I think we should need to stand for something today, right? We need to stand for what we believe in and where we're going and, and really be counted in, you know, in that process. If a person does that, I think instantly they will see where they can begin to change the situation that they're in. Being on Shark Tank and all the different successes you've had and everything else. Obviously, there's been failures that have been throughout that. What are some of the biggest lessons you've kind of pulled from that? But did Mark tell you I failed before? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was all successful. <laughs> oh, no, that's funny. So I fail a lot more than I succeed, yeah. and I'm proud to admit that because I'm in a business that is testing of products. And so what I learned is I want to fail fast and fail cheap. And in the, in the early days, the good news is my very first project was a winner. So I was one for one batting a thousand, but the next three didn't work. So now I'm thinking, am I done? Is we, I found every product that's going to work in, in the infomercial world. Well, no, we needed to get aggressively curious and find more things. Right. Right. So, um, I mean, failing is part of business and, and in the old days, we unfortunately put too much money into things. We held on to them longer because we really believed they were going to work. And, and if it was my baby project, I'm not going to let this fail. No, <laughs> got to get that out of your head. It's, it's business. You test. You use the parameters today. It's Facebook and Instagram and Google, et cetera. Much easier, much cheaper. We can, for five, eight, ten grand, we can build a funnel, do some tests, run some ads, and we know what we've got. 
or what we don't have. So it's this is the model I use, and and I love I I, I love failing at times because I know I'll learn from that, but it, I get over that hump and get on to the winner quicker. And there's one saying from one of my other people that I studied for years, and that was Winston Churchill, who hmm. said, success is being able to go from failure to failure without the loss of enthusiasm. So um, I, I thought that was pretty funny because it, you know, uh, when my son first came in and you know, Brian, right. he, like he's, he picked a couple of handpicked projects that he swore were going to be winners. And I, I was hoping that he might get a winner out of it, but I'm also thinking if it doesn't happen, he's going to learn a lesson here that don't get too close to things because they don't always work. And yeah, and and so when they didn't work, he was devastated. But then he's now learned that that's just part of the process. And so failure is something that you can deal with and just get do it quick and do it cheap. Awesome. I know we only got a few minutes left because we're fitting it in your <laughs> your shooting video right after this. So I want to kind of open it up um, now and for either of you guys. I mean, what's one thing you're like, okay, Josh, I was hoping you're going to ask this, but I know we're running out of time, but I really want to let you guys know about it. Um, and I'll open it up to either one of you I'll to start. start and turn it over to Mark, but it, it I mean, it kind of gets back to the book in all honesty, because the book is about mentoring. And for me, that took the form of, of getting, uh, you know, some coaches and some, some advisors and mentors along the way. And one of the biggest, uh, you know, I, I say that I was building a very nice business in the world of as seen on TV, but I couldn't get financing. And it wasn't until I opened my world to, to get a, a, a finance mentor in my life. And I also call it getting the right dream team. Sure. And so when I brought on this, this former bank president, he got me a $3 million line of credit from a bank that had turned me down. That took us to a whole new level of success, but then we got legal dream team members and operational dream team. And again, whether this is mentors, dream team, consultants, advisors, it's this is what we do. And that's really what the book Mentor to Millions is all about, is getting the right mentors, the right dream team members at the right time for your business to help you Grow your business exponentially. Awesome. Mark, go ahead. Yeah, and for me, uh, I'm, I'm right there with Kevin. You know, it's all about mentorship. If I could go back and do anything, I would have had more mentors early and I would have become a mentor early. And so we have seen people always, it's so funny, Josh, because we go to events and like a thousand people, they're lined up and they all say the same thing. I just want five minutes of your time, Kevin. If I could just ask you one question, Kevin. And they always ask the same question. Like I can predict it. What's the one thing I need to do to be super successful? You know, like like Kevin's this uh, soothsayer, you know, right? This crystal ball. <laughs> the crystal ball, but yeah. I have no idea what is... they do, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but and they always ask that same question, but the answer over the years has narrowed down into one thing, and that's why we wrote the book because really, the one thing—if you can only get one thing—if you can only do one thing in your life—if you want to change. You, your trajectory, if you want to impact millions, the quickest way to do that is to get the right mentors in your life. You weren't put on this earth to do it alone. I wasn't right. put on this earth to do it alone. Entrepreneurs are not supposed to do it alone. They need mentors. They need coaches. They need help. That's the only way to exponentially impact the world with your product, 
your purpose and your passion. And you can also bring it home. The book has an underlining about home. That's why the book is called Secrets of Success in Business, Relationships, and Beyond, because we talk about how you can mentor at home, how you can take this business success and bring it home. And if you're out there listening and going, I wish I had Kevin Harrington or Mark or Josh as a mentor, guess what? If they will, if they'll go to KevinMentor.com, KevinMentor.com, and buy the book and come back and show us that they bought the book, they're going to buy it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Sure. We're going to give them 30 days of mentorship from Kevin and I. So they can no longer say, I don't have a mentor. They can no longer say, I don't know how to get a mentor. And our hope is after those 30 days, they will develop a habit of mentorship, and they'll know and have the confidence and courage to go out and get their own mentor and be their own mentor. So Go to KevinMentor.com. You'll see all these juicy stories that we've been talking about. You'll see success, failure, but you'll see that if we can do it, you can do it too. I am Josh Felber. You are watching Making Bank. Get out and be extraordinary. Thank you for listening to Making Bank. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. And sharing is caring. Follow Josh Felber on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more. You can also listen to Making Bank on Amazon Alexa, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and watch on Apple TV, Success Thinkers Network, Amazon Fire, and YouTube.